All right, everybody. Eyes front. It's another episode of No Coast Cinema. I am your co-host, Connor Cornelius, joined, uh, if you've been paying attention, for the second consecutive week, Lise Graham. Hello. How's it going, Connor? Doing great. How are you today? I'm good. I'm like, now I'm switched up. So last week I was with Tom, and now yep. I'm with you. Yep. So we, next uh, week I'll be by myself. Yep, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Tom and I are uh, going through some some difficulties right yeah, now with each other. He needed to take a break. Yeah, he for, did. Yeah. So I'm kind of like a mediator. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, what we're going to be talking about today, we have a great show. We have Aaron Ska and Shay Hardacre from the uh, uh, Octa Stash production company, uh, creators of the web series Collective Failures. It's a great show. We're going to be interviewing with them. But first, we got a little bit of uh, uh, news from the, around the cinema world uh, here on NoCo Cinema, your guide to cinema here in Chicago, as well as all around the world. If you guys have your globes out, um, just go over to South America. In Venezuela, uh, we, there's been a little bit of trouble there uh, economically and uh, a with lot. a lot of things, yeah. obviously. But, uh, you know, living in the United States, you get a little bit uh, you get a little bit like suckered into the culture here. And you sort of forget that there are, you know, entertainment cultures in other countries. Venezuela has one. Um, however, it has been struggling a little bit as of late. Um and again, sort of going off of that idea with the scarcity or with um, being like stuck in the United States, you don't really think of certain things. You take it sort of for granted, right? Like yeah. you can go to the grocery store and get like a loaf of bread. But bread is a very scarce commodity in Venezuela nowadays. Like yeah. it's such a cornerstone of the film going experience as well and popcorn has actually become scarce in venezuela and that's just like the most trivial of the of the problems obviously bread scarcity isn't trivial but not being able to eat popcorn while you're going to a movie is is not that huge of a deal but there are a lot of things going on in that country that are making it very difficult to be a part of the entertainment industry um there have been over three months of anti-government protests where uh police have had to gas malls which is where you know a lot of the cinemas are in these malls and it's affected you know young like children and it's affecting adults and everything um obviously venezuela you might have heard about this has some of the worst crime in the world um leads to about twenty five thousand deaths a year so people are actually afraid to go out at night so people don't you know the cinema People don't go out to the cinema at, at night because they're afraid of being assaulted. Journalists and reporters that at these um, at these production companies and at these at these major studios in Venezuela are afraid of leaving their offices because they're victims of assault and robberies. Ugh, it's sickening. Yeah, I, I mean, and looking at the numbers, just the numbers of the um, admissions. Uh, this Variety article says. Admissions were down 35% between 2015 and 2016, um, and that's a loss of some 10 million admissions. That's crazy. Yeah, and there are a bunch of factors contributing to that. Obviously, street crime being one of them. DVD piracy is up. So sort of like with the streaming services here, people just kind of want to stay in their homes. Even though uh, movie tickets there range between 50 cents. I mean, they're dirt cheap. And anybody can anybody can really afford to go in Venezuela. However, it's obviously a very difficult uh, time in the country's history to to be focusing on something like that. But people need uh, people need to be able to get these stories out. People need to be able to go kind of experience 
you know, uh, an escape from the like maybe from how harsh the the reality of the country is at the moment. Um, and even though they're still making movies, it's not entirely it's not like a simple process as it is here. Uh, a lot of the TV stations are now state owned. And, uh, you know, if like in the United States, obviously, we are allowed to be outspoken about our government. However, since the TV networks are largely state owned in Venezuela, the people who are critical of their government, they get shut down. Yeah, that's that's rough. But there is hope at the end of this article. Absolutely. I see. Um, it reads, the 13th edition of the Venezuela's most prominent film festival, the Merida Festival of Venezuelan Cinema, um, it kept its annual appointment despite some logistical challenges. So it ran from June 11th through the 14th um, and showcased 17 new Venezuelan films, which is I mean, that's, you know, still a lot, six of which were world premieres, um, with Italy as its guest of honor. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, it's like, it's times like these when the movies need to be made, really, like, you know, get the message out, but it's then the struggle to get it supported. So I guess keep an eye out, watch some Venezuelan film, donate to some production companies that are looking for help. Yeah. It's a difficult time. But as uh, as you said, there is light at the end of the tunnel, and there are a lot of people in the in the Venezuelan film industry that have nothing but hope going right. forward. Totally. Now back to uh, back to the United States. Yes. Um, the uh, of course there is a, a little bit less of a serious thing going on, but there at the box office this this weekend there is going to be a trifecta of franchises battling it out for the top three spots. Okay, which ones? So we got War for the Planet of the Apes, which is the third installment in the rebooted series from the popular cult classic. I just rolled my eyes. Sorry. Yeah. I, think... I don't know if you're a fan of these. I haven't seen any of them. Oh, you haven't seen any of them? No. So the first one, I think it was Rise of the Rise Planet, of the of, the Planet Apes, of the Apes, yeah. had James Frank. I, I, was, I, I liked it, but I didn't think it was that great. Um, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, however, I thought that was amazing. Really? Yeah. And it's all done with the motion capture through... I don't know if it's wedded digital, but it's Andy Serkis, who is, okay. you know, a huge oh, pioneer yeah. of that motion capture technique. And he um, the guy that played Gollum. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he was King Kong in Peter Jackson's adaptation of that movie. Is that the one that just came out? Uh, no, that was Skull Island. Oh, the, right. I the, saw that one. Yeah. You're talking King Jack Kong. Black from, one. Yeah, exactly. From 2006. Right. And Adrian Brody. Yeah. Um, I think that those movies are great. I, I do. But um. War for the Planet of the Apes is also battling out another character, which I think is great, which is Spider-Man. The new. Oh, for a second, I thought you meant in the movie. Spider oh yeah, Spi <laughs> well, Spider-Man does make an appearance in the. <laughs> does he? No, oh. your eyes just oh, so. Uh... <laughs> I I think that that's a, a good idea, though. guys. Yeah. Oh, that'd be. I'd pay for that. War for the Planet of the Apes. Apes versus, versus Spider-Man. Because. Spider kind of like batman versus superman except hopefully better than that shit yeah there you go um i didn't even see it but i've heard really bad things i do think that any movie is improved if you add of the apes onto the end yeah so spider-man homecoming versus war for the planet of the, of apes. the apes yeah it's kind of clunky i remember when rise was it rise <laughs> what of do the you planet? mean it's clunky rise of the planets of the what is rise of the planet of the apes yeah that is a mouthful like that i remember when it came out i was just like <laughs> That's stupid because there's yeah. too many ofs in that. But I guess it's well. I mean, it's done it well enough to have you know third place. Okay, so we've got that. We've got Spider Man, and 
What's the third one? Rounding it out in third place is the another installment in a trilogy, apparently, uh, Despicable Me 3. Oh, God. But instead of an E, it's a it's a 3 because, you know, that's cute Which, which or E? It's the final E. Oh, in me. Yeah. But whether or not this is the final installment in this oh, franchise. Oh, I doubt it. They're going to. That would be merciful, but I don't th- <sighs> I don't see it happening. I've Okay, so I've never seen any of these, so maybe, maybe I'm missing out on something really great. But. I did see the Minions movie. Oh, God. Which, not my choice. Mm-hmm. I was babysitting, and the kids were like, I was like, okay, well, yeah, I'd rather have be, sit in a quiet theater for a couple hours, but. Uh, kind of a nightmare, that Minions, isn't it? They're just so dumb. Yeah. I just can't. I'm sorry. I, I know. It's well, like no, a dystopia you're not a fan. or something. It's, yeah, it's freaky. Sort of like cars, how there are no people and it's all just like all of the cars have eaten the humans and consumed them or something. Did you see Cars 3? I didn't see the third one, no. I've avoided it so far. that came out a couple weeks ago. Yeah, have you seen it? No. (laughs) I I imagine that you would be, there would be a line out the door for it, but. I did not like Cars 1, and so I definitely avoided Cars 2, which sucks because I love Pixar, you know? Yeah. But they just messed up on that one. It's, I don't know. Anyway. Larry the Cable Guy. Whatever. You yeah. Know. Let's not go down that oh, road. Oh, God. The real, the real news here. voice in my head. <laughs> Tomato. I'm sorry. <laughs> Mater. No. Mater. No. <laughs> okay. The nightmare is back. Um, <sighs> the real news here is yeah. that these three franchises are just battling it out for the top three in the box office. With original films like Kumail Nanjiani's um, The Big Sick and uh, Chicago based. Chicago based. Looks awesome. Love it. Haven't they were seen also it. on Comedy Bang Bang. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I wish that I had more time to go see these kinds of these original movies yeah. like The Big Sick and Edgar Wright's Baby Driver. Yeah. And they're just battling it out for fourth place right now. That sucks. Yeah. I, I mean, ah, I was thinking this the other day. It's just like, it's crazy how everything's been remade. Twice, three mm-hmm. times. I mean, even like Spider-Man, it's yeah. like Third in reboot. our lifetime, mm-hmm. we've seen it rebooted three times. And we're, are you 23? I'm 23. I'm 24 now. Exactly. Like, I don't know. I thought Tobey Maguire's one was fine. Like, why yeah. do we have to keep redoing it? Sam Raimi did a great job with the first yeah. two, at least. I mean, I did. I liked the Andrew Garfield reboot. I, so, uh, did you? Well, I just like him. Okay. And Emma Stone. And they were like dating, and it was cute. Yeah, it was. Didn't it was she great. die? Yeah, she like hit her head on a rock or something. But it doesn't. I don't. That's an interesting story in and of itself. Yeah. Is like the whole Sony Marvel thing, right? But I just the thing that I really don't understand is the role that franchises are playing in the in a sort of. It's not a dying industry, but in the statistics have shown that the film industry people are going to see movies less, whereas there are no shortage of these you know ever since disney bought marvel and star wars there's no shortage of these huge blockbusters i know it doesn't make sense yeah i don't understand yeah see but i don't know it's sad to me that that admissions are down i it's something's just has to change to get people back in the theaters right maybe ticket prices could go down a little bit because that's freaking that, ridiculous that would be good yeah um but i paid that's... like 15 dollars the other day for spider-man was it 3d no. Okay. It was IMAX. And you know what? I, we almost left because of the sound. It sounded like they turned it all the way up on accident. Too loud? It was horribly loud. Oh, I mean, yeah. and I'm, I'm fine. Like, I go to concerts and, like, I st- I'm fine with sound, but we were both, 
like my boyfriend and I were both was like, oh, what the hell? And it didn't get better. That yeah. was like not fun. Yeah, I remember I saw Batman versus Superman and it was just on top of being kind of a bad well, I'm gonna go ahead and say a bad movie. Yeah. Uh, it was so loud, and there were just all those industrial noises, like that oh, grating metal. And there's a lot of that in Spider-Man too. Yeah, yeah. It's I rough. can't even imagine what Transformers sounds like. It's oh, probably God. just like a, probably like a horrible junkyard yeah. truck orgy. It's bad. <laughs> Ooh, that's a good band name. <laughs> junkyard truck orgy. Yes, that's my new band name. There yeah. you go. Tight Thank- punk punk band. Maybe. Thank you, Lise. Yeah, hopefully maybe you can a play at a DIY uh... space, which Space. we'll be talking yeah. about soon. But yes, the. We will. The real issue that I, the umbrage that I take with these three franchises battling it out in the top in this world where people are no longer going to the cinema as often, we saw films with smaller budgets outperforming these huge movies, um, at least in a proportional respect, uh, certainly in some cases in a in an overall respect. In an artistic respect. And in an artistic sure. respect yeah. for sure. Like, Get Out, we talk about it all the time, but it's an anomalous film. It's an incredible movie, $4 million budget, over $100 million box office. The statistics are there. All of the statistics are there to support original filmmaking with smaller sets, smaller budgets, and you don't need to be hiring, like, Brad Pitt to shoot a bunch of zombies into nothingness, you know? It just, I don't know, it... Is frustrating to see that think, it's not learning its lesson. I think it'll play out. You know, I think I think that the smaller they'll rise. I, I don't know. Rise well, of the planet like, of the apes. Rise of the small indie movies <laughs> of the apes. Of the apes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I guess it remains to be seen because, well, I mean, and we were even talking about Disney um, a little before we started. It's just mm-hmm. uh, what they're remaking, Mary Poppins. Oh, yeah. With Lin-Manuel Miranda, which I, I'm like, part of me is like, fuck yes. Yeah. <laughs> but also, why? 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 The first is one's the so good, you know? Yeah. And it's and it's it, a classic. It takes it out of the historical context and just like makes, a, gives it a really big budget with nice cameras and that's cool. But I don't know. I guess I'll, but, but then see, I like, I enjoyed Jungle Book. Mm-hmm. Loved Beauty and the Beast. Yep. Even Cinderella was good. It's pretty cool to see these animated movies come to life, but why can't we get some new stories going? Right. I mean, there's so many other people to talk about and things just, you know, portray on the screen. So Disney should lead by example. Exactly. And, and I think that, that. Uh, I know that Disney is probably listening to this. So, oh, yeah. Um, take notes, Disney. Take notes, Disney, because we're, we're telling you we're telling you your future here. And Disney. Exactly. Come on the show. Yeah, we'd love to have you. Yeah. Um, bringing it back to our, our hometown of Chicago, we have a great interview for you coming up here after the break. We are going to be interviewing... Wait, can you say it again? Sorry. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so just bringing it back to our hometown of Chicago, <laughs> um, we've got a great interview here coming for you uh, right after the break. We're interviewing Aaron Ska and Shay Hardacre from Octostash Production Company, who created... Uh, the wonderful punk DIY web series called Collective Failures. And that is coming up next uh, on this new episode of No Coast Cinema. Thank you, Lise, for, for joining me. Thank you, Connor, for having me. I'm looking forward to the rest of the episode. Yeah, are you ready for the break? Oh, yeah, let's All right. do it. All right, let's dive in.
And we're back with No Coast Cinema, uh, your guide to cinema here in Chicago as well as all around the world, uh, exclusively through WGN+. Plus. I am your co-host, Connor Cornelius, and uh, if you have been a regular listener, you will know that my co-host, uh, Lise Graham, who has joined us again for her second consecutive week, taking uh, over. is back. Uh, if you don't know Lise, she hosts her own uh, podcast called Lise FM, which is fantastic. You should check it out. And today we are joined by two wonderful Chicago artists, uh, Aaron Ska and Shay Hardacre. How are you guys doing today? Hello. Hi. Hi we're doing pretty great. Yeah. And these are, you are two members of the uh, collective Octostash production, is that correct? Uh, it's uh, just Octostash production. Octostash, okay. Yeah, it's uh, us two and then our best friend Kristen and our friend Jay that joined this year with us. So now we are producing stuff for people, which is kind of cool, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and uh, how? Uh, so obviously you guys are the show, well, Aaron is the show creator, director, and writer of the uh, show that we're going to be talking about today, which is called Collective Failures which is uh, a documentary film, uh, well, it's the story of a documentary film graduate student documenting her and her oddball roommates' attempts to run and maintain a DIY music collective from their house. And as drama builds from the conflicting music scenes, comedy ensues, proving the task more difficult than previously thought. It's, it's such really, a good premise. Yeah. It's really nice hearing you say it too, like having it presented as such. Like, yeah, this it's is a real rad. thing. Yeah, we feel more professional oh, yeah. when it when it sounds like that because it's really like about complete crap show, like that. You know, just like the DIY culture. And, yeah. You know, I think Chicago in itself is like a huge drama scene filled with like a bunch of stuff with a lot of the different scenes. So it was really fun to like pick from the different scenes to write about because i'm from a different completely different scene than he's from so it's been really fun to like him giving me stories from his specific like genre of music and then me taking like the last 10 years of being in the diy culture and like putting it into this so it's it's been like really fun to just like put all of those stories of like the last 10 years of all the crazy stuff that happened and like make it into like an actual cohesive show and so you've been in the music scene of Chicago for about 10 years now. 10 years in Chicago, like 15, 16 years total. Like I'm, we're from Detroit originally. So Detroit has a really heavy like Chicago influence. A lot of the Chicago pop punk bands really made a mark in Detroit. And mm -hmm. that's kind of why I moved to the city was I really wanted to feel the way these bands felt when they wrote a lot of this music and it was just kind of just like diving into this culture that's interesting and shay where are you from also originally from michigan um i've been here in chicago for a little over six years um i had been somewhat a part of the music scene within the detroit area um but uh moving here is what really you know kicked it up a notch uh being able to meet so many fantastic people that are involved in show spaces with music record labels Chicago's scene is vast, and there is such a variety of genres and show spaces, and there's some great overlap that happens with a lot of these genres, but there is a huge divide between a lot of it. Um, but being here, um, you know, meeting more people, being becoming a part of music, and actually becoming a musician while I was here, uh, doing vocals in a punk band, playing drums in a grindcore band, now I do like solo electronic music, experimental stuff. Um, and then actually then living in a DIY show space, which is where most of Collective Failures was shot. And Shay, beyond playing Milo on Collective Failures, you are also the uh, sound designer for the for the show. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, I did a little bit. Um, 
uh, with season one, um, adding some extra sort of background music and helping facilitate finding extra bands um, to have music within it. Um, and also just being sort of a creative consultant to Aaron. Um, she's a fantastic writer, but it's hilarious because I just kind of get to stand there and just tell stories about the ridiculous things that happen. And then that's how I just end up embodying characters and just, you know, <laughs> pretending and playing, yeah. you know. Playing, I mean, playing in the improv sense. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there there was a lot of times we'd be in our kitchen and we would pretend to be these characters when I was writing them and just, like, like playing them out and seeing what worked and what didn't work a lot of the times because you would take these stories and you didn't want to... You took them from real life, but there's also people in the scene that would get really, like, upset that you're taking their story or... So you had... There was a... This the fine line between fiction and nonfiction of, like, how do I take this person who is a curmudgeon in the scene and make a character out of him, but caricature him enough to where he knows it's not him, you know? So it was like that fine. awkward. Yeah. It's like that fine line of just like, how do I make sure that this person knows that it's not them? Let's wait, let's talk about one of those situations (laughs) Um, because my, the TV show that I'm writing, which, you know, just a pilot all based in reality. Also, how do you, kind of how do you fictionalize someone and or how do they figure out that it's them um well we had one person in particular that figured out that that okay so this one person in particular thought that he was the went the main character cliff mm-hmm. and it wasn't from me it was from other people perceiving this character I'm like you know that guy it reminds us of you and he got really upset and i was like look i can't control how other people perceive you maybe you need to think about how you're perceived in the scene and maybe you're not as nice as you might think you are Hmm. so it really is you can't really control how people perceive it so you have to really write how you feel and if you feel like it's the right thing to do then you just have to write it like that's like but i did so i did for the second season i tried to make cliff more of a caricature and make him more humanized and not as brash and mean as he was in the first season so i gave him a lot of humanistic qualities that maybe would separate him from this person so you kind of i what i would do is i would lay out all of the characteristics of this person that you're writing and say okay which one specifically that i really want to be in this character and then you have to still have that like degree of separation so there's a little bit of fiction that you have to bring in but then there's still a little bit of truth so it's you it's this weird teetered like teeter-totter type of thing where you have to like level it out totally but you're not going to make anybody happy everybody happy so that was something i really learned that not everybody is going to like what you do not everybody's going to be on board with it so you can't worry about what other people think you have to do what's right for you and this show specifically is from my point of view so everybody has a different perception of the scene and this is just my story of Mm -hmm. the scene so whether they like it or not i can't control it but it's not going to stop me from writing what i want you know so Like, don't ever, like, while you're writing your pilot, just write what you want and then go from there. Because if you stop, if you limit yourself and worry about that, you're going to miss so many great things that you could write, you know, because yeah. you're in your head too much. Thank you for that advice. Yeah. Sorry, I'll take it. No, 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 that was great. Yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah. something I, that was, it was something I really learned, like, yeah. between yeah. first and second season of writing of, like, that degree of separation and... But especially, like, because because we're sort of talking about these characters that exist in a DIY scene, there are almost tropes that exist in every DIY scene. Right. You know, there are the old curmudgeon guys. There are, like, especially because I can talk about my character. Like, people would probably watch the show and be like, hey, that just looks like Shay. It's just Shay being Shay. But I'm trying really hard to make this character a total goofball who's, like, way too excited about everything and just wants to be immersed and is, like, sort of oblivious to things going around around him. So even as I, like, approach it, 
like I mean, because I love doing characters. Um, so I tried to approach it where he was this sort of like high pitched, not necessarily squeaky, but he was like really excitable. Like, hey, I'm Milo. Hey, how's it going? How you guys doing? What's going on? Yeah, let's, let's go to the show. You guys want to go to the show? Yeah. Yeah. Very, yeah, very like um, in his own head. Yes, absolutely. And then in that regard, like, so then we have Cliff, who is the their curmudgeon, who exists all over the place because there's always people in, in music scenes that have been doing it for a while. They're a little jaded. Um, but they they still hold so much value, and they still have done so much great stuff to sort of help foster it. It's just, especially running a DIY space, eventually you're just like, okay, I'm getting tired of this. It, it's it's exhausting. I did it for two years uh, with two other people. I did like an acoustic space, the Castaway Collective, in um, in in my apartment years and years and years ago. And you know, we were having shows three to four times a week, and that's exhausting. Like and to have strangers in your house to like manage it to all of the things that come down to it, because it's kind of like a little business, you know, yeah. a business where you're not really getting paid because a lot of the shows were free and you just donated to the bands or places that do charge went to the band yeah. so it's you're kind of being a little bit of an, a diy entrepreneur and if you've got other things going on it's it, it takes a toll after a while what what do you guys love about the diy scene that you can't can't get from you know going to shows at say the aragon or the vic oh, what what about it well it's a community like it's it's you 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 form friendships it's more of an intimate setting like you're really seeing people really work really hard at their music like it's not sugar-coated it's not like overly produced it's people that are trying different things especially in Shay's scene he does a lot of like noise electronics so it's like it's very out there it's very different and it's it's something that you know a lot of people don't know about so you feel like you're your own like little bubble and community because a lot of people don't really know about people playing house shows in their basement like when we did this show people were like what what is this especially family members yeah, yeah. like our, our family members best. were yeah. just like i had no idea that you did this and wow. you know a lot of and i think you know it's funny because we kind of touch on that in season two of just like the parents perception of like we all have parents that don't understand and they come to visit or they come to shows and they're just like, why are you doing this? Which I'm Grow so excited up. for you guys to be able to watch because we had a wonderful actress, Jill. Do you remember what's her last name? I can't remember her last name. Off the top uh, of my she right was now. a friend of Paul's from Second City. Um, and she just did a tremendous job as this sort of like June Cleaver-esque, um, <laughs> you know, motherly figure who's just trying to pamper, you know, uh, Cliff and Bexley and like ends up in the show at one – like in a punk show and is getting tossed around by everyone. So. So it's it's really fantastic to watch. And it's yeah. Very so funny. like we we touch on that of just like how parents don't understand. You know, have parents you ever had understand. that where like parents just don't get it and like they think it's a hobby or it's fun or like when are you going to grow up? And it's like, but this is grown up for yeah. me. This is you know this is my thing. So you're going to be getting some fresh eyes in this next season. Oh yeah. Oh, like yes. uh, this next season. So season one was really situational on mm -hmm. the actual show space and how they run it. Season two, I wanted to dove in like really dive into the characters specifically. Um, so the, originally I had 10 page scripts for the first season. Okay. This next season I had 15 plus page scripts. Usually when you, when you film uh, a script page equals one minute of screen time, but if it's mostly dialogue heavy, it's going to be shorter than that. Okay. So a 10 page script for us in the first season was maybe six minutes on time. So we had a lot of room to work with for second season. So I really, um, dove into these characters and like their relationships and how they react with each other in in like how they live with each other and how they live with other people in the scene because there are different 
houses that don't like each other in real life and really? people that have yeah like that people don't like each other they have vendettas against each other that pit they really pit each other against each other so that the whole second season is something happens bad things keep happening to the fishbowl collective mm-hmm. and they can't figure out who it is and why it's happening so it's like this, what kind of bad things so like their like their show calendar that they have like someone changes the dates on it that no one uses that besides no one uses. Bexley yeah that <laughs> Bexley so Bexley's like freaking out because she's like oh my god this this band emailed me and they said they'll be here at this time but they're not on the show calendar like so someone's like completely messing with their schedule yeah. um somewhat like they they have electrical problems in their house because obviously they live in a crap hole so it's not exactly the most up to date in code so they have like uh lighting issues they have um a scathing review that comes out in a diy zine that like completely just demoralizes them in every sense of the word like personally and she's like who is writing these things so they go on this mission to try to figure out who is who is messing with them because they're literally their livelihood is at stake because obviously this is cliff's everything Yeah, yeah you know so he's really cliff kind of takes this goofy like he takes milo's detective uh, gear and he goes on this mission to try and find out who who is doing so he's like which following was a fun people. like role reversal because uh, yeah. in season one Milo is like trying to be this detective sleuth to see like what's Bexley up to who's she seeing yeah. what is this and now Cliff Cliff dons that persona um, to then try and find out who's like sabotaging their collective space so so, so this so season two is more of like a continuous story season one is more of like is more episodic where you can mm-hmm. kind of watch them out of order. You're hitting the themes of I'm, what it is yeah. to be a part of the DIY community. Yeah. Yeah. Without like, ever how, actually how... having without ever actually having to like explain it. Oh, um, yeah. I think that was something that we talked about even before we started doing it because we're like, yes, people aren't going to know what a crust punk is. People aren't going to understand what punk time is. And essentially that was the first episode to try and set it up and just give a comedic spin on it. But because the DIY music scene is such a, a underground, and I hate even using that term, I'm using air quotes with this, um, <laughs> uh, thing that uh, I guess you know mainstream society wouldn't understand it or know much about it, but we don't want to sit there and literally talk to people and tell them what it is because I feel like that's just sort of – uh, sort of taking a less importance on what it is to us because this is what we love. This is literally what we love to do. And so we just wanted to – or Aaron essentially just wanted to make something that had these characters exist in it and that was fun and entertaining for people to watch um, without feeling like we had to, like, talk down and, like, state Patronize, like, what yeah. these yeah. The show are. don't tell kind of approach. Yeah, that's, exactly. I mean, that's the big thing in writing that you learn is that you're to show, not to tell. Yeah. And – that was like a challenge with this world that no one really knows about. So it's like when you write a fantasy, like Game of Thrones, it's 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 it's, it's its own intent entity, and like it has its own world that has no rules, it has none of that. No one knew anything about it, so they literally had to show this world in a very specific way to get people to understand it and like have everything weave together. So that was definitely season two for me of like. How do I use the space in the DIY scene as a backdrop Mm -hmm. to these characters living in it? And these characters are older. They're not like Milo's like 23 in it, but like Bexley and Cliff is like 35. Bexley is 28. They're older. They're people where you would think that they would have be married, have children, settle down. A lot of the people in the scene aren't like that. I'm 31. I'm not married. I don't want children. I don't want to own a home. So like it's it's showing that that alternative lifestyle and. It touches on like, it touches on the characters' need to like when do, when is it time to grow up? 
you know, like that is something that Bexley faces is like, when do, when do I grow up? When do I walk away? When do I get the grown up job? When do I find my place? And, you know, a lot of the characters, we see them grow a lot. Like Milo gets a girlfriend for the first time and she's a dominatrix goth girlfriend. <laughs> Just hilarious. A lot of fun to shoot that stuff. Um, I sure. can only imagine. And the, yeah. act, the actress Masha is a, a wonderful woman, and we had so much fun with her. And she's a good friend of ours. Um, but she played the character very well. And like Cliff, Cliff's mom comes to visit, so that kind of sets the tone for like that. Something. That's the actress Jill that I was saying. The yeah. mom that's in and, the episode. Oh, okay. And, Be- right. and Bexley, she tries to how she tries to fit into like into the scene because she's kind of the mother of everything. You know, she kind of she kind of runs everything and. She tries to find her place in being with Felix in a relationship out in the open and not afraid anymore. And, you know, so it's 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 interesting and funny all at the same time. So you'll be building out the world a little bit more in this second season. Yes. And that was something that, honestly, to, to um, borrow that sort of concept of world building that you mentioned, I was really impressed with, even though it was an episodic thing where you're just sort of introducing people to the themes of the DIY punk scene, um, by the end of the season, there it's where it's the other it's the other collective, right? Mm-hmm. You see that it's not just this one, you know. It's not just a fishbowl. It's not you know. It's not just like glass on all sides. It's a full world, and so it's cool to hear that you guys in the second season will be opening that up a little bit. But um, I really wanted to get down to what was the uh, what was the reason behind, like, why did you want to capture, obviously you're very passionate, both of you are very passionate about the underground, air quotes, DIY scene, <laughs> but um, what was the, like, driving passion that led both of you maybe together or that led you specifically, Aaron, into into writing it? So when, um, so January of last year, I started taking a class at Second City and I had been writing for a while and I I think it was like five years ago I decided I wanted to be a television writer. I was just like, well, shoot, I think this is what I should do with my life. And he's like, what? <laughs> what? Oh, my God. You are a photographer. I don't understand. I've never read any of your writing because I'm very I was very secretive about my writing for a long time. And, you know, I showed him my writing. He was like, this is amazing. So I started taking classes at Second City, and I wrote a different show for something different that I'm passionate about, uh, Fixed Gear Bicycles, and I wrote a a story about a schizophrenic woman and her talking bicycle, which those are two things I have very close to my heart. My aunt is schizophrenic, so I know that world very well. So after I wrote that, my teacher was like, you need to write something that you know, another thing that you know that you can do to put yourself out there. And I'm like... I'm so into the other project, I'm like, I can't even think straight. And it was the last day of class, it was Valentine's Day, we're at dinner, and he's complaining about something at his ha- at his house, the <laughs> DIY house that he lives in. He's telling me this ridiculous story, and it's just like, instead of being romantic, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Oh my God, I need to write about this. And it just, it, it was one of those aha moments for me. And it was like, how did I not come up with this sooner? This is my life. Why am I not writing about this that no one knows anything about? There's no other show out there that's like this. But it was funny because our little romantic date immediately just turned into us just shooting off ideas and, and just getting like yeah. super creative and just be like oh this is awesome and then I'm just immediately being like well there's this story and then there's this story and there's this story and it's just like I have so many and stories it, for it you. it literally <laughs> just kind of blossomed from that and then it, tur- it just kind of snowballed and I literally wrote the first th- that first season in a week. 
Wow. And it was wow. it just literally came out Very of me. Fast, yeah. And and it's ten minute episodes. So it's ten pages ten page episodes okay. that I wrote. So it didn't really turn out how to many ten season? minutes, but or how many episodes in a season? Um five for the first season, okay. six for the second season. Okay, I, cool. I I went went a little crazy yeah. and added an extra episode for the heck of it. But then we also have season three, which is four episodes. Which I al- yeah. also wrote a season three which we shot at the same time as season two. Okay. So oh, that's wow. coming out. That's coming out in like January probably. Okay, cool. Because we were losing our DIY space that we actually shoot in. Yeah. So I was like, all right, I have to bust this out. Dang. And write. I literally wrote season three in four days. I don't know how I did it's it. It's like the time, <laughs> the time crunches of like real Hollywood. You know? Yeah. yeah. Like, I, totally. don't know, I don't know how I did it. Well, I, I'm interested in the web series phenomenon um, and these, these shorter episodes. Um, but, you, you know, I, you talk about the characters. Like there's just so much depth there. How oh, yes. do you fit it all into 10 minutes? And how, how is that different? <laughs> I know it must be like really impossibly hard. Um, how is it? How do you think it's different than like – half hour show or how is it similar i'm sure there's like well with web series so half hour shows there's usually an a and a b Mm storyline sometimes a c storyline if you get lucky with a web series you can have an a and a b storyline which we did have but you can't have any buffer so usually how there's a build to things there's more of a sequence like the inciting incident has to happen immediately like in the cold open in in that first teaser before the credits roll so it's like you have to set the world up incredibly fast. So yeah. you you have to pull out the filler a lot. So that was that was something that for me I really had to like look at like I watched a lot of sketch comedy because sketch comedy will help because they do whole scenes in what 2 to 3 minutes and they go from point A to point Z within 2 minutes. So they they completely establish the world that you're in and that's a really good thing to look at to like figure out how to make a because the web series is kind of a step up from sketch and then from that goes the half an hour and then to the hour you know long shows so for for me it was it was really like getting to the, getting to the point and making it very punchy very fast so it's the di- there was a lot of dialogue that had to be to the point like there was no mulling around you had to make these scenes you had to put them in the scenes already like you had to put them in the situation and then run from there so like a lot of the times when in the first season a lot of the times you know i made it a mockumentary so it felt like the cameras could kind of be around at any given time and you could talk to the camera and talking heads like the interviews were really helpful because that helped move the story along that filled in the gaps where you couldn't show it because you had such a small time frame so when you do a web series you think about that kind of stuff what can you put in there that will move the story along with the least amount of time possible how many people are in, are involved in you know all of it, like the actors and the, and the shooting and the sound and the um, so editing? For the first season was really DIY. Like I did a lot of it myself. I was literally ten departments. I literally did everything from costumes to catering. Was all mine. Um, I like so, how you put it that way. From costumes to, to catering. catering. Like well, I literally. I'm gonna start a side business. From C to C. Yeah. From C to C. From C like. To C. Um, so the first season there was maybe ten of us. The okay. second season we're teetering between twenty to thirty people. Wow. That yep. And the really so this is the big point to put across is that it's a completely DIY down to like what we do behind the scenes. Every single person involved in this is some way in the DIY community. Cool. Mm-hmm. Or they're in the improv community at Second City. Like a lot of the actors were actually from my improv troupe. So I literally could pull them right from the potato farmers that I perform with and be like, I'm going to put you as this character. And 
no one no one got paid so everybody donated their time for free that was something about a micro budget production that if you want to do you can do it like it is possible like the first season was done on five hundred dollars and that was including buying a crappy camera yeah like that was what we did it on and the first season like i still i love talking to people about it because as as people kind of get into it and they see what we're doing now um there's a, a very large step up in quality um we have a wonderful camera operator, cinematographer, and now editor, Jay, um, who has, you know, a, a far better camera than we did. We were using, like, a <laughs> Canon Vixia, like, HD camcorder. Uh, so it didn't work well in low light, which we were shooting, you know, indoors pretty much at all times. So um, the first season, it has a amateurish look. But I love talking about it because it's like, we just did it. If you have an idea and you want to do it, just do it. Um, and it's it's, mean, it's the way I it's the way I approach especially when it comes to like noise and experimental music. I have people that ask like, how do you get into this? How do you start doing it? I'm like, just do it. You know, they're like, what gear do you use? I was like, dude, just grab a microphone and a brick and just start recording that. Like, I don't care. Just yeah. just start making noise if you want to do it, make it. And it's the same thing with television or anything creative. We did it, you know, like Aaron said, on a $500 budget. Uh, we had a friend, you know, come. Uh, we bought like a simple boom mic. And like a Zoom H4n kind of thing to get audio, which we actually ended up not being able to use. Um, but we just used the means that we had, and that's why we're so excited now to be able to have a little bit higher quality, so that people, because we live in a day and age where like you know like 4K HD is like a thing. So <laughs> yeah, now people get to watch and be like, this looks awesome. It's, you know, there the first season we didn't have a lot of backing because the scene is very fickle like i don't know if you know anything about the punk scene but they're very fickle they're not going to jump on board with something if they don't have something tangible to see after we made the first season we had so many bands that wanted to be in it that i actually had to turn people away because i didn't have enough episodes for the amount of bands that wanted to be in it so which was really exciting for me that they were they were willing to bring all of their gear and play two songs just to be in the show and be immersed in this world. That's sweet. You know, and there were so many people in the scene that wanted to be extras, that we had so many people that came that I didn't even know them. So I was, like, getting freaked out of, like, having all of these people in my space and not interacting people. I had no idea who they were. It sounds sort of like a microcosm of the DIY punk yeah. scene Absolutely. anyway. Yeah, you yeah know? Like, it really, it is I mean. inside itself kind of thing. And that's what we kind of pride ourselves on. So it's, you know, you, you're writing a pilot right now. You're getting into the web series. Just do it. Like, we had $1,500 for season two and three. That's all that we had and we actually we ran it we had a fundraiser that we had where a bunch of the bands that were going to be in the show played and old style ended up sponsoring us too so we didn't have to cover any of the beer cans this this next season we didn't have to tape the beer cans we could wow. actually have them in there because oh, obviously great. old style is like the epitome like beer drink drink of choice in the diy community of chicago of chicago specifically yeah. so you know, it, how it did grows. you go about getting that sponsorship? So, um, my friend Sam actually is like a uh, one of like their spokespeople, and he's in the band called Space Blood, and they played in the second season, so he like hooked that up for us, and like Tight. we had Which like the fantastic. fundraiser Thank that raised enough money to like give us really great costumes, and we built we built a freaking haunted house, like we built walls and made a haunted house wow. inside of the show space for season two. Yeah. So like that's Not to mention a really fun tiki episode. Yeah. So, oh. yeah. so Sounds like, festive. yeah. Yes. So like, if you really want to do this, you can do it. Like there are people at second city, especially you put the word out, people will come and help you. I'm actually helping someone else out from second city work on her web series and like get her started. So like, it's it's po- it's so possible. I'll keep your number, girl. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the first season of uh, Collective Failures was released on July 31st of 2016. Yes. How has the uh, reception been? 
for the show. Because <laughs> um, I, I assume just knowing people from the scene, I've shown a few people and they love it. Yeah, the, I, I think the, the, the punk community in itself really enjoyed it. Like the pop punk community really liked it because obviously it's funny. Different genres have different senses of humor. I always find I'm in the pop punk scene and they always seem to have a pretty good sense of humor. They can make fun of themselves. Some of the other scenes are a little bit more like, eh. Yeah, yeah they're, like, serious, they're a little too serious. serious. They're like, you're making fun of noise music. I'm like, not really. I mean, if you think about it, all music is kind of silly in itself. Like, don't take yourself too oh, seriously. Right. Noise is the silliest. Yeah. Like, I so, mean, because we had a character in season one who's just brandishing a, a machete, yeah. which is actually based on, on a friend and, and a favorite noise musician of myself who has played sets where he essentially puts a microphone onto the machete and uses that as an instrument. So... Although noise, punk, grind, hardcore, whatever you want to say, is very serious in itself, and usually people talk about very serious things, which is amazing, it's still hilarious. Yeah, so, I mean, there's there was a lot of people that, like, embraced it, um, but there was some people that were like, "I, you're being very detrimental to the scene, you're exposing us, people are going to get curious, like, because it, it, there's, there's that underlying issue that it is illegal to have shows in your basement like that is yeah that does, is an illegal does that thing. ever come into the show it does um the s- second season like there's um second and third season it's it's very evident that like there's an ominous loom to things of like if we keep doing this we could get caught and, what's illegal about it um we have to have a permit to do that kind of thing oh. to play live music and then also people have you know beer and that kind of stuff so it's it's really kind of you're like running an illegal kind of space. Right. You're not carting people. Yeah. No. Like, but it's, it's also like they're, yeah, essentially venues would be paying taxes to have live music. And of course, everything is about money. Um, so obviously, the city of Chicago gets no money from DIY shows, uh, yeah. which is so. essentially where it would come from. But I think we do talk about it because at some point they kind of talk about other uh, venues getting shut down, DIY venues, um, which has happened. I know that there's some in Baltimore. Um, and then we had the, you know, the unfortunate trauma with Go Ship um, in California. What happened there? Um, there was actually a, a DIY warehouse space that had caught on fire. Oh, that's right. Yes. And that happened um, right when I was writing season two. So I would like, people were really nervous. We waited on season two a little bit to start filming because I didn't want to like start. Rush it. Yeah. Cause like it was bringing a lot of heat and a lot of like people were getting shut down everywhere because of it. And it was making me nervous whether or not I could continue to write about it in that way. Depending I mean, on what, like, depending the, on what the, the spectrum of yeah. what was going on and, I feel like season two, a lot more people are going to see it just because the quality is insane. Like, it's like we're doing rough edits right now, and it's like you're going to like freak out. Like, it's just so good. Like, I <laughs> can't very even. excited for it. Like, yeah. I can't Italian even. Italian like, kiss. It's just, it's, it's so good. So, you know, we're really excited about it. And then hopefully more people will see it. Eventually, I mean, season three is the end. Like, I did a full story, and season three ends it. Because um, we're moving to LA next year, so it's kind of like the oh. end. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Awesome. So this chasing is, the dream. Are you like, yeah, there you go. You're like yep. moving. Yep. Like yeah. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm Me doing. Too. Yeah, yeah. I'm doing. The, I'm doing That's the thing. Awesome. Like I'm ready to do it. So this was like the end of that. Like my legacy Shit. leaving in Chicago. But I would love it if someone like Hulu or Netflix saw it and saw the potential and picked it up, and then we could redo it all yeah. of it and be amazing. Yeah, with all that network backing. Right yeah, there. Yes. like if just the network backing of being able to make these characters even more rich and more like just more dive deep into like this culture that no one knows anything about so hopefully fingers crossed that season two will hit the mark with that and fingers crossed on people it, will so. like it and enjoy it and watch it and share it around yeah exactly so well i thought it was great i think it does a fantastic job of capturing the diy punk scene in chicago uh, it feels very chicago um 
from Collective Failures and Octostash Production. We have Aaron Ska and Shay Hardacre, and we will be back very soon uh, with our C segment where we're going to be talking a little bit about our favorite movies and how music interacts with those and uh, informs our experience. <laughs> Heading into the break, we got No Coast Cinema only on WGN+. Hey, we're back with No Coast Cinema. I'm your co-host, Connor Cornelius, joined again by uh, by Lise Graham um, for the second consecutive week. I know. And then we also have from Octostash Production, uh, creators of the collective the show Collective Failures, we have Aaron Ska and we have Shay Hardacre. How are you guys doing? Hello. We're good. Hi. Back from the break. Yes, thanks Ooh. again for having us here. So uh, with this segment, we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, movies and how the music interacts with these films and uh, of our favorite movies and how they sort of inform our viewing experience. So, uh, Lise, do you have an idea? Of yeah. Oh, God. I mean... Do you have one idea? One I- okay. Well, Baby Driver, obviously, because I just saw it. And oh, yeah. um, it's like the epitome of... A car music movie. I mean, it's. Have you guys seen it? Not yet. Not yet. It's on. Yeah. Oh, you're gonna we, love we it. have friends Huge who are like, you have to see it. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. so good. I saw it. I saw it the day it came out. I didn't know anything about it. I actually had heard about it through one of my favorite podcasts, Comedy Bang Bang. They were interviewing John Hamm and then Edgar Wright. Um, and it was funny because they were like, "So this is the sequel to Boss Baby, right?" Oh. <laughs> <Just like laughs> when I heard the title, I was like, "Is that what it yeah, is?" Because right? that's immediately I think about For like sure. Boss that's Baby driving a car. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, but no. So, well, have you seen it? I have not yet, but oh I'm my, going to. You guys, I know. killing me. Well, it's. I know. I, I don't want to give anything away, but you've, if you've seen the trailer um, or if you've heard about it, it's amazing. It's the, the editing is just phenomenal. It's all synced up to the music, um, and uh, they had like an editor on site, so they would do rough edits like every day after the end of shooting. It's just like in real it's time. Yeah, it's insane. So. There's one. I mean, but I've been watching musicals since I was a little kid. Um, my dad is a big, he's a musician, uh, but he's also, we're all, you know, big musical fans. So it was, you know, Singing in the Rain, Summerstock, My Fair Lady, Sound of Music from the age of four. Um, so I've, you know, seen it in, in that. And then, like, that plays out to Across the Universe and, and then of La La Land, which I'm a huge fan of, and I know not everybody in this room is. Yeah, that was a little <laughs> bit of a controversial movie at the Grammys this year, wasn't it? I really loved that movie. I just didn't like the ending. I was really sad about the ending. Yeah, the ending okay. really good. Like, I'm glad you liked most of it. Most of it was great. I just I felt with how cinematic it was and how like old movie, like old style movie yeah. that it was that it would have that like cinematic ending that right. I wanted. And I happily was like, ever after. I was like, you got I to think, be kidding me. I think it was kind of like. Damien being like twist it's today modern day and then he gives you the whole 10 minute ballet where it's like everything's good they're actually together my mom was my mom was like really confused she was like wait what did they end up together or (laughs) I ended up pulling the I watched it uh, only a couple weeks ago in Boston when I was visiting a friend and I actually in the middle of it I pulled up the script because I wanted to see how he wrote it all out because I was just like enamored with like these like very like theatrical scenes like in the the dancing and yeah. the floating i'm like how are you writing how are you describing well, this? are you imagining that yeah right? like yeah. how are you putting this like 
from script to screen is so different. It's like, how do you describe that right. in a five sentence, like a five sentence block? Like, and was enamored with that's it. That's the cool thing about his story. I don't know how much you know about it, but like, he wanted to do La La Land like years ago. Yeah, you know, he, like, he's been sitting on it him. forever. Um, and he couldn't get funding, couldn't get funding. And then finally, I mean, look at it. It's, it's done a lot, whether you like it or not. Um, but yeah. I don't know. I could keep going. Almost like soundtrack wise, almost famous is it's, great. It's um, hard to fit into such mine. a small Damn time frame. <laughs> okay, I'll, oh, no. that's I'll give I'm that wanted. one to you. Well, um, while we we'll let, while we let uh, yeah, while we let Aaron think maybe a little bit more about what her choice would be. Shay, did you you mention that you? Oh yeah, had I mean, I, I could go on and on. Um, I mean, you know, being a musician and I I really love synth scores. Um, so first off the bat would be John Carpenter. Okay, um, he sort of revolutionized the idea of very minimal synth scores for horror, thriller, you know, action oh. films. Um, and actually one of my favorites might not be a huge favorite, but I love the Fogs soundtrack. Uh, it's very, very ominous. I really love the sort of marine um, sort of found sound that comes out of it, very simple piano melodies. Um, and I saw John Carpenter play uh, Talia Hall uh, when he was doing a tour supporting his records, which are also great. And it was a mind-blowing experience. Um, but then on top of that, uh, um, uh, the uh, Vangelis' score for Blade Runner is Oh, totally. absolutely amazing! Oh yeah. Did you see the trailer for Blade Runner too? Yes, I actually can't wait. I think it's going to be amazing. I can't wait. It yeah. looks. I mean, and Ryan Gosling joining the. I could stare at him all day. Oh yeah. But that score is, sure. is wonderful, and then even more m- modern scores. Um, so, um, uh, Kyle Dixon and I can't remember the other guy. Um, who uh, is of the synth group Survive, who did the Stranger Things soundtrack? Okay, yeah. Blew up. Um, what the idea of sort of synth-based soundtracks were. I feel like. Afterwards, I was seeing hundreds of BuzzFeed articles of, if you like Survive, you would like this. And it's just, like, tons of artists that I'm like, yeah, these guys are all amazing. Michael Stein, is it? Michael Stein, yes. What is it about sort of semi-scary movie? I mean, obviously, John Carpenter did more pure horror, but Stranger Things, it's got horror elements. Uh, There's a synth soundtrack in It Follows by Disaster That was going to be the next one. I thought was great. Incredible. The the score for that is amazing. Um, It Follows is such a modern piece of horror. Um, but it's it's the somewhat of the '80s nostalgia that I yeah. think comes from synth, especially when I know that these producers are using really vintage equipment, which have these really warm analog tones, which create uh, what I think is like a true sense of dread. You know, like I think uh, with these sort of synth scores, you get more emotional feeling. Um, but even on top of that, like, there's tons of great music. I mean, even Carpenter did, like, you know, sort of, like, kraut rock, you know, yeah. jammy type stuff. Sure. Like, uh, Assault on Precinct 13, like, the main score for that is a great sort of guitar-driven track. Um, but, yeah, I love all that. The, like, the Drive score is also really great, and the, and the songs that they have on that. Um, I really, really love the soundtracks of films that use, like, sort of that 80s nostalgia of, like, synth and synth pop. Yeah, and and drive. I think drive really does a good job of making it feel cool when you're. It captures how cool you feel when you're driving late at night. Oh yeah, in a car like yep. blasting your music. Because I use like uh, Kavinsky's Night Call, um, which he's also just like sort of a great you know like synth crowd rock type dude, um, and that track's awesome and it gives you that feeling of like watching the street lights go past and driving a car with little leather gloves and like you know the the headlights and the lights of your like very neon you know. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Synth and neon. Why does that go? It's just 80s, I guess. It's just 80s. It's, it just became, like, something that just clicked. But, like, I love it. I love that aesthetic. I love the way it looks. Yes. You know, I love stuff like that. Aaron, did you recover yes. from the uh, from <laughs> um, Lisa's well, theft? Still, I'm still going to say Almost Famous, but I have another one, too. So music really drives my life. Like, I grew up on music, and I'm a musician, classically trained musician. I can play just about anything. And, 
you know, for me, music is an escape. And it also is something for me of I listen to music to inspire scenes. Like I actually, when I write stuff, I listen to specific songs that actually make these scenes come to life. And I think a lot of, you know, movies have that quality, like almost famous, like Cameron, Cameron Crowe. Don't, oh my God. Like that movie for me with that soundtrack and the way that it's an autobiographical of his life as when he, you know, wrote for Rolling Stone and he, you know, he traveled with these bands oh, and it's so good. It's so good. And just like that, you feel like you're in that time. Like, yeah. and I felt like for me, I just feel like I lived in the wrong time. Like the set music of the seventies, like is just everything to me. Like I grew up at that, like the Eagles, like I literally dated my first boyfriend because he looked like Bob Seger. Like <laughs> that is how much I oh love. Like I just, that music back then you really had to have real talent. There was yeah. no fixing it in the studio. You had to have it. And when you, you know that you kind of, Elton John too, like you know that all of that stuff. This really like the way that you use music in film makes can make or break a scene, and it gives you it. It makes a feeling, and I do that when I write too. And Guardians of the Galaxy was probably the the most known one today that made me feel like that. That soundtrack, like, and the way that the director does, like, I read on how he kind of like how he got to where he was he just culminates music like he just has like giant playlists that he just keeps saving and he goes through and i do the same thing i want to follow him on spotify yeah like i <laughs> like i do the same thing too i have tons of music that i save for specific things and it's i love that like even kevin smith and a lot of his movies too like mall rats had a really great soundtrack and it was really like kooky and funny and it played with a lot of ridiculousness that came along with it and i've always been a big fan of his work and the way he like you know molds it together but yeah like music oh just almost oh oh i can't oh i love it it's just it it makes you feel a certain way and that's the way movies are supposed to make you feel so it's it's definitely come on to me with that and it can even go so far as to inform uh like inspiration for even writing a movie in general it doesn't have to be like oh here's a song and i think this would fit perfectly here with baby driver i haven't seen it but i'm an edgar wright fan so i watched i listened to an interview with him where he said that, like, in the late 90s, he listened to this song uh, from the Blues Explosion, and he wanted, he was like, wow, this embodies car chase. I want to write a movie around that. Yeah. And I just think that that's a fascinating thing, how a movie that even something like The Lord of the Rings could be, it's like a sumptuous visual feast, you know? But then uh, uh, Howard Shore's soundtrack to it is my personal favorite part of it, because I just, I just like listening to it. it brings me into the the world like the synth in the in the horror it brings you back it takes you somewhere yeah and i just think that that is it's like a transcendental thing about music that's paired with a visual medium i don't understand how it works it's all it's, auditory visual like it, it's the way that you know. i mean it can inspire so many different things like i wrote my other show that i wrote specifically is based off of music this girl hears music along with her talking bike and she thinks that this music actually the lyrics of the music that she sees on billboards and whatever she thinks that like it's telling her something and so, like, it actually drives the story to where the story could go next. So, like, the viewers could literally start collecting the soundtrack and try to figure out what happens next. So, like, there's this level of, like, taking these music to another level and putting it into writing and making it, like, with, like, Baby Driver. Like, when I heard about that, I was like, I have something similar that I'm working on. <laughs> this is a little bit more, like, you know... It's to the beat, like but like mine's aspect, more like yeah. sto mine's more story based, but it's still like that using 
using it to make something so visual is awesome in that way and it's it's kind of exploding that's which i i love yeah totally well aaron writer creator of collective failures where can we watch your show oh um you'll be able to watch it on you, our youtube channel collective failures or collectivefailures.com um, you can also follow us at Collective Failures TV on Instagram. I do a lot of Instagram updates on stuff that's going on. Um, the first season is up on the website. Uh, the second season, we're hoping by the end of August, early September, we'll have a premiere date. I think we're going to do it at Township with Cinema Obscura. Awesome. So, Friends um, of the show. Yep. If you guys follow Shout us on we'll... Facebook or Instagram, there'll be updates for like a big viewing party um, for that. So, and our promo video is coming out next week and then a full trailer a couple weeks after that. So it's, it's almost time (laughs) for it to happen. It's about to pull the curtain back. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, Aaron, Shay, thank you guys so much for coming on the show. It's amazing talking to people who are clearly so passionate about what they're doing, uh, especially with something that's so near and dear to, to my heart as the DIY punk scene in Chicago. Uh, and Lise, thank you again for, for joining and My being pleasure. the mastermind behind everything. Thank you so much. Hardly. Um, you are the mastermind this week. I'm just the while we're, co-pilot. <laughs> we're just a little bit lost without our, our beloved host, Tom Hush. Um, but to borrow one of his lines, uh, again, thank you guys for coming on the show. Thank you. This has been NoCo Cinema. Good morning, good evening, and good night.